We're here today, it's Greg and Edwina McHenry and we're on OCR FM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast and we're also streaming live at all the W's OCRFM.org.au and I hope that one of our guests who's going to be in here at a, well, on the phone at around about 11 o'clock is having a listen to us now. But before we go any further, I'd like to pay respect to and acknowledge the Gulijan people who are the custodians of the land we're on today, as well as the Gadabanud who are along the coast. I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and future. Look, over the next couple of weeks, and it's not going to be here, we're only having today as one where we're remembering the Vietnam War, which went from 1962 to 1975, where 520 young Aussies died defending our nation and there are over 60,000 soldiers, both men and women, who served from Australia in that war. It, I think it's the longest one um, and it's a one that is being remembered basically on the 18th because of the schmozzle that went on at Long Tan on the 18th. And the Vietnam Veterans Association of Australia, they've got a few things going on. We might talk about a couple of them today, but they've got a motto about honour the dead or as honour the dead but fight like hell for the living. We were going to be having, and we will be having, a chap by the name of Alan Fleming, who's a Viet vet coming into us. He's going to be in the studio here. He's coming down from Camperdown. We're also going to be talking with Marie Jane, who's the RSL aged and health support manager for Region A, which is this area here. She's going to be on the phone from Geelong. But I had a call last night from a, a young bloke. Oh, he's not all that young. He's, he's a lot younger than me, so I suppose he's a young bloke. His name's Darren Stent, and he's currently serving... Chappie, you'll tell us a little bit about his story. I and mean, he said he had an interesting person he could bring in, but I'm a Sian, Sian Didims. And they're actually sitting here after stuffing themselves with local produce. <laughs> so good morning. And it was actually Darren who did the cough as, as Mr. Armstrong, as, to, as when Louis was uh, saying good day to us all. So who will I say, Darren, good day, how are you? Gee, thanks for that uh, plug on the cough there. Yeah, yeah well, I, was, I wasn't going to take blame for it, seeing it wasn't me. Hey, <laughs> Amateur hour already. But, uh, thanks, thanks for having us along. Yeah, thanks. No, you're, you're welcome. And g'day to you, Sian. <laughs> nice to meet you too. You might have to step a little, not step, move a little bit closer. Little She's bit sitting closer. very relaxed because we've had a short chat out in the in the, uh, the office, the green room, the, the whereabouts. and So we've learned a little bit about each other, but uh, True. Not, not too much. Darren, you are, you've just got off work too. You rang me last night. You're a, what do you do when you're not doing what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm um, working as a paramedic down here in Colac as well. So um, when we had our conversation, I was just starting work at 5 o'clock there. And uh, we're on the go most of the night, unfortunately, but um, got some rest around about 4 o'clock and here we are. And so you, you've been making copious notes. Your, your life, though, outside of this, you do, you're still active with the ADF? Yeah, that's right. So... Um, serving now, transferred across to the Army Reserve, but um, as a reservist, that's also almost a full-time job. So I'm working up in Melbourne there and pulling anywhere around about 150 days a year for the Army still. So in between working down here as a paramedic, I'm um, up to Melbourne and working there as well as a, as a part of the uh, Defence Force. And in your previous roles, when you were full-time, what's some of your history there, just as a matter of interest? So I started off back in 1995 and I was posted up to uh, the Royal Australian Regiment up in Brisbane. Uh, later I was uh, in Melbourne and then up to Darwin again with the Royal Australian Regiment and from there we deployed to East Timor. Um, I spent six months 
in East Timor and came home and took a commission after which I went to Iraq and served um, attached to the US, Army, uh, US Air Force sorry, Hospital in Balad, Iraq, which is in the middle of the Sunni Triangle. Um, following Iraq, I came home back to reserve service and um, went over to Afghanistan in 2008. So since Afghanistan, that was my last operational deployment. I've done a few uh, humanitarian and diplomatic missions there. In, uh, in about the last, well, since 2008, probably about 10 to 15 missions overseas, various countries, um, doing that diplomatic and humanitarian role. Now, I mentioned last night because I've, I've read the book, I mentioned a book to you called Best We Forget, which is written by a Vietnam veteran who's a bit of a buddy of ours, Bernard Clancy who's also written a play, Edwina Gay, how are you? What's the name of the play that Bernard wrote? It's called um, Foxholes of the Mind. It's a, a good one to get hold of because it talks about the PTSD, which is one of the things we're going to be talking about because it's quite relevant. And I said in, in that to you, have you got that thousand-yard stare? And with all your deployments, you immedi immediately said, yeah, you have. Well, I've been told I have. I haven't seen it myself. But um... <laughs> I tell you, you have. <laughs> But uh, yeah, go, there's a lot of work that goes into that. But I've certainly been I've been told I've had it. I don't know what it is about that that uh, that, that makes it happen. But um, I think you may you may have even noticed when I got here, and certainly when we grabbed uh, a bit of food down there at Gravity. You know, you sit down, position position yourself where you can see the door, look around, and just get, yeah. sort of get an appreciation of where you are, and those sort of things just sort of come natural and a part of your life. But um, yeah, the stare I've been I've been told I've got it. And I guess a lot of work goes into it, but. Uh, yeah, yep. and that, that's typical. We've had um, in previous uh, conversations at another station where people with PTSD have really just sort of come and lost it a little bit um, because of starting to reminisce about some of this stuff because it brings it so much back into the room with you. You are like that. I can see it. And... I, I really, I really can feel for you because I've, I've knocked around with a lot. I've, I've part trained myself Nasho. Okay, so I've been indoctrinated to a certain extent because those first few weeks where they, they turn you into a whatever, uh, a non-thinking person. I've been through that, but I think I broke away from it. But you're a thoughtful person. You're a captain. That's right. Yep. And you, so you've worked your way up to that. You didn't go through Duntroon, so you've been a hard worker right the way through. That's right. So I started off as a digger. Um, so I was the private, and uh, yeah, took a commission after after that um, trip to East Timor. Um, by that stage, I'd been studying nursing and um, transferred across and you know, run a uh, run a paramedic team within the army now. So that's that's my role as a captain. Um, look, I I got to say that with regards to like the amount of deployments and and, uh, and trips I've done, and particularly I guess some of those humanitarian things where you do see the extent of of human suffering. And uh, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of those people, yeah, get places like the Philippines where where they're behind the eight ball before the typhoon and the tsunami hit mm. them. So you do see you do see a lot of uh, degradation and um, and and poverty there. And then of course it gets compounded by the disasters that hit. And with without a doubt, that's going to that's going to affect you. And yeah, whether it's whether it's that or I have a I have a different perception on it. I mean, you know, people people have certainly said to me that you know they've seen me go away to to a war and it wasn't me that come back or go away to one of these missions and it was someone else that came back. 
personally, I feel um, I feel pretty well within myself. The perception that I have of, of how I'm going is that you do see bad things, you're exposed to the bad things, but um, that also happens throughout your life, and it could be you know, the, the the death of a of a family member or a, a pet or something like that that you'll go back and you'll reflect on, and there'll be times you'll be happy, there'll be times you'll be sad. Um, I see my deployments and, and some of the things I've been involved in like that. Other people have certainly said to me, you know, you're a bit more cantankerous than you were or, um, you know, short, short of fuse, a bit distance at times or whatever. And I guess that's just, you know, going back and, and having a bit of a, a think or, or things remind you of those things. Um, but at the same time, I've seen a lot of people um, that really do suffer the effects of PTSD yeah. and that that goes on and affects... Yeah, their families as well. There's, there's certainly, as we discussed shortly before we came in here, a ripple effect with that sort of thing. And I've seen it you know, really uh, devastate not only uh, veterans, but their families as well. Mm. Yeah, I don't really, I think that's about enough we've gone on you because one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you like this is because I don't think, or do you think, people out in the, our world understand what it means? They don't understand the impact that it has. They just hear people are going on peacekeeping things or. They're on a UN, what doing this, whatever, and they think, oh yeah, so, but they don't have a, an understanding of the impact that it has on people. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think part of that is even now that you have a look at the, the uh, what we're calling the contemporary veteran, the post 1975 veteran, and even now the uh, the current war against terror, there's about thirty thousand of us, but that's not the majority whereas you know, in the in the great war and the the second world war there was a lot of people that that went away and everyone knew someone that was affected either killed or wounded or uh, or suffered as a result of that whereas now there's only a small amount of us and even after the the 17 years of conflict that we've had you don't really see or hear much of it and it could be your next door neighbor that's gone over and come back and people don't even notice so um they don't have that, you know, a lot of the veterans don't have that community and those people around them to associate with and people don't understand because no one actually knows where they went or what they did and you know, there's very little reporting on it in the media. We will be talking about the places they can go to because nowadays, like when the Vietnam veterans, and one of the, one of the things is this, is, this has been brought about because of the Viet vets that we're talking today because they were the ones who became proactive and started to set up a lot of the stuff the RSL has become quite involved so now we have got a lot of things that are available for existing and returned soldiers and we'll be talking about a, a fair bit of that later on with Marie but there are some that you've got uh, specifically in mind do you want to go to them now or do you, do you want to I think I was wanting to go to the rippling thing that it has as far as Sian goes because when we talked about the ripple with your story Sian mm. I said it's, the ripple seems to have stopped somewhere around you yeah, correct, Greg. Um, just a little bit of my history. I've got. Um, I'm from a big military family myself. Great grandfathers, grandfathers served in Borneo. Um, father's a Vietnam vet, and my brother was an SAS patrol commander. Was killed in Afghanistan in 2012. Um, so yeah, the ripple effect is pretty huge. Um, it doesn't just stop with, you know, the wife and children, which which he has, or the parents. Um, it goes right through the family to to brothers, to sisters, to nieces, nephews. Um, it's quite extensive. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've been lucky enough to actually get some help, um, which I didn't think I needed initially. It's, I've only got the help in the last, last few months. Um, so it's taken me a little while 
to get the help. Same with Dad. Um, I know he won't mind me saying so. Um, a lot of his PTSD came out uh, after Blaine got killed. Um, his own PTSD from Vietnam that he'd, he'd obviously pushed down a fair bit. Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah, it has a quite a big ripple effect. Um, it, Dad's finally getting some help also. Um, but I've been lucky enough to get some help through VVCS, Vietnam Veterans Counselling Service. Which is, now, can we clarify on that one, though? It was started, that is a Viet Vet. It's got the name on it, it but it's now... It was it, started by Vietnam yeah. Vets. That's why it's named so. But it's actually Vietnam Veterans and veterans Families, families Counselling Service. Counseling so service, yeah. I had no idea there was actually help out there for military family. Um, mm. I thought you'd needed to be a, a, a vet or directly involved with the military. Um, so, yeah, VVCS have been extremely helpful. Not wanting to bag the government, but I'm going to. <laughs> but that's typical, is that the, the helps that were out there were never really promoted or advertised. This is what we're, why we're doing this sort of program, is sure. to, and to let people know. Because, see, even the, the World War II vets, their families were entitled to stuff, and the RSL was a, a big part of being able to help them out. But because of the there was little, little promotion of it, so people didn't do it, and then the legacy, had, it was evolved. Mm. And so it was p more people helping each other. So in a way, you've got a peer group help going here too, haven't you, Darren, because you're doing a lot for Sian. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's a, I suppose it's a bit of a, a funny story, but um, having, having come back from one of my deployments, I spent uh, a few months there in, uh, in hospital and rehabilitation, having, uh, having um, uh, contracted illness, I guess, while I was away. And the group of group of men that helped me and made sure that my family were were receiving an income, and my family were looked after while I was in hospital. Um, yeah, they they were really there for my family, and they were good friends of of Blaine Didham's. And when I met Sian, and I found out that Sian was was Blaine's brother, I uh, was Blaine's sister, sorry, and that uh, that Sian needed a bit of help, although. We didn't know each other at the time. I had the theory that it was Blaine's mates that helped me out, and as a part of that defence family, um, you know, I had an obligation there, or uh, a bit of a duty there, to, to give Sian a hand as well, and sort of show the same assistance that that Blaine's mates showed me when I was crook. Um, I served, you know, I served a lot of time as as a medic in the in the defence force, and I had the uh, had the theory, the uh, the mantra there that. I was going to do everything I could for the soldiers serving with me to, to keep them alive. And I lost a few fellas um, killed in action and I was you know, unable to unable to help them. So for them, I went on and did everything I could for their families. And that's where now you know, people have helped me out and, uh, and I'm helping out the families and the friends of those that helped me as well. And, and that's a lot of what happens in terms of the advocacies, advocacies and everything else that um, we have in our in our community now, isn't it? That there's a lot of the the people coming through, and we're trying to train some of the contemporary blokes to also do the advocacy for those who need the help. Yeah, the advocacy is a uh, something I'd really like to uh, have a chat about as as we go on here, because the um, the advocacy programs that are going particularly through the RSL but other organisations as well but the RSL is certainly uh, big on it um, yeah there's yeah, massive volunteer hours and things that are going there to, to assist veterans and we're not talking about um, counselling there we're talking about setting the veterans up and, and going through things like uh, compensation and, and managing claims through the Department of Veterans Affairs which is a very complicated process um, <laughs> I know uh 
I've been a little bit through that. Now, while we've been having a yarn, Edwina's gone out into the into the foyer here, and she's just captured a bloke who's arrived all the way from Camperdown. G'day, Alan Fleming. How are you? Good morning, Greg. I'm fine, thanks. Good. You're not giving you a chance to catch your breath, are we? Oh, it's, we're used to this impromptu. Impromptu, yeah, I know. Mm. You've got to be ready for everything. And welcome to... And welcome to here. Community Connect. Thank you very much. It's, it's great to have the opportunity to be here. It's great. Now, have you, you haven't met these people, have No, you? I haven't. This is Sian, Sian Diddams. And over in the corner there is Darren Stent. Hi, Darren. G'day, With a D. With a D. But it's not as in the, the medical... <laughs> Where were we? With the, the advocacy stuff. Now, you're behind that as well too, Alan. We've met it, uh, on a number of occasions that you're a Vietnam veteran. We'll just get a little bit about you. Yeah, well, there's th probably two, two caps at the present time. Uh, I'm a Vietnam veteran and I'm a member of the Geelong Vietnam Veteran Association. But currently, uh, I'm also president of the Camperdown ARSL. So we've got a... Uh, um, we up with um, a lot of the uh, changes in... In ad ad advocacy and uh, welfare and, and all those sort of things. Okay, now we've had a little bit of a story on where and what um, what Darren's been involved in. You returned. You were in Vietnam. Yes. And uh, you you're on a, a gold card now. A TPI. No. No. Uh, there's. T what have we done? I don't know. If you're not can't you? Well, well, if you we'll get that sorted out. Um, you don't have to have it on for the moment, but you, you it's. We're having a little bit of a technical here. Is that better? So, sometimes. <laughs> okay. We'll get you to take it off just for the moment and we'll be able to just hear each other. Um, the there's, there's, two, there's two stages to Gold Card. Um, you'll get um, return servicemen are entitled to a Gold Card subject to their financial conditions once they turn age 70. And the others will have uh, their Gold Card... Um, um, submitted or entitlement to gold card much earlier due to their um, what their war service and the injuries through the war service were. Okay. So basically, all veterans, all returned veterans, will be eligible for gold card at age seventy. Okay. So now, with that, it gives you access to all the different um, services that we're going to be talking about a bit later on with Marie, and we can mention any time you like. So that gives you entitlement for them for free. Yeah. The other thing is that uh, some servicemen prior to age 70 will have a white card, which is which is a card that uh, gives them conditions of um, medical for specific conditions, and that's that's before they turn 70. Yep. Which is actually what I've got. Um, I was Nasho, but I didn't have to do it. And see, a lot of people are not aware that um, you don't have to go overseas if you were damaged physically. In the same way, Sian, you've been brought into the fold, but even though you were sort of left out of it, people don't understand their their uh, actual um, yeah, benefits absolutely. that they're entitled to. Yeah, absolutely correct. And that's what I really wanted to make a point on is, um, I mean, the amount of, of wives and, and children of Vietnam vets um, and the Afghan guys, Iraq, modern, modern vets, um, don't realise there's help out there mm. for them. Um, I speak. I know a lot of army wives um, around same age as me in the early 40s, late 30s, um, who are dealing with with husbands who have quite severe injuries, both mental, physical, and they really have no understanding that there's help for them as well. Um, it flows onto the children. You know, a lot of these kids are in their teens now, 
um, living in a completely different society as to when I was brought up with a Vietnam vet as a father, um, where they've got social media and everything else and bullying going on, and they don't, don't realise they may have their own issues going on from their own father's service, coming back from Afghanistan, what they're dealing with with their dad, for instance. Mm. So having kids of my own, I understand that it's, it's an issue. Yeah, so they need to know that there is there is certainly help there for them through through someone like VVCS or or yeah other other places. Well, it's well in the case of um, the advocacy now is in Geelong, the uh, people in Settlement Road, I think it is where um, there's the advocacy unit there, uh, as well as now I'm, I must I don't know whether we can have ten second silence, but um, Darby Drennan was doing the. Uh, the late Darby Drennan, who became a mate of ours over the years, uh, he was doing the advocacy out at um, Osborne, pa Osborne House. One of the uh, things at the present time is that the number of volunteers for advocacy in, in, uh, in areas like Geelong and right across the state ha is diminishing because they're, they're getting older and there's a, a much greater um, training regime now required for, for anyone who's doing advocacy because it's getting so complex when you get to to, to put your claims forward yeah. so that we're dramatically losing the number of volunteers uh, who will be uh, as of June next year will be uh, able to actually do this service for us and we're more and more reliant. For example in Warrnambool uh, they're training two of the what, what I refer to as the younger veterans there's two younger veterans uh, are going to be stationed in Warrnambool once they're trained um, to assist the Warrnambool district and uh, there's more and more reliance on, on fewer people who have got the responsibility to be able to go through and do this direct advocacy for you. Uh, many of the Vietnam veteran groups um, are sort of diminishing the, their role as such and uh, there'll have to be a uh, a greater liaison between others, perhaps RSL or whatever else, um, to set up this uh, and maintain this uh, thing because as, as was mentioned the umbrella is quite wide these days mm. uh, for the people that are eligible Once you and then once you find them you've got to be able to have sufficient people to help them. Mm. And with you Darren, you, your people there are less in numbers than there were with the Viet Vets and only some people are going to be able to do it because it's quite intense uh, being an advocate for these people. You almost need to have a legal background. It is so complicated to get to the, the top level, the level four uh, level of advocacy. Um, you know, we, we are at the Geelong RSL in Settlement Road there. We do have some younger fellows that are doing the training now. The most senior advocate there, Richard, uh, you know, we really need to, to give him a pat on the back. He has been doing advocacy now for about 46 years yeah. as a volunteer. And we, we estimate, well, we're logging um, about 36 to 40 hours a week that Richard is doing for, for the uh, veterans there, but we're getting some emails from him at crazy hours in the morning, and he's probably, we're probably looking at about 70 hours a week that he's putting into assisting veterans. And sorry, now, just with that one, and because we know Richard, he, he helped Edwina and her dad, that as a... As a bloke with a pension himself he shouldn't he's breaking all the rules by doing these amount of hours because he shouldn't really be working and it's all done voluntarily well that's right um and it, it is a it is a volunteer position and we are working on um on getting someone as a as a full-time um, paid position there as well so that you know, everything everything is compliant there the rsl 
is you know, really, really big on providing that advocacy support. And you know, you might walk past RSL and and see the see the pokies and see it as a, a gaming venue or as a you know, a drinking club, etc. But constitutionally, fifty percent of the funds that the RSL raises has to go towards that welfare, that veteran welfare and support. So as opposed to going to you know, the local local pub and you know, the, the money that goes into um, the, the pokies there goes in someone else's pocket. This is going towards veteran uh, veteran support. And you know, when you've got a bloke like Richard that is pulling massive hours like that and the other volunteers, they, they do need assistance. And um, you know, it's, it's really worth acknowledging that. And I don't know, um, people like we know John Clarkey, we know Helen, know all these people who are working on it they're um, yeah they're par- they're getting past it in terms of they've got to look after themselves as well and that's a big thing too isn't it Alan yeah well one of the the things that's come about is the uh, is the new the new levels the le- new levels for advocacy and um, everyone that uh, is going to go into advocacy or in fact all the people there have to have to be uh, qualified um, to go ahead with this with their advocacy in the future and once you get above level one, I think from there up, you've got to have someone at the next level above to completely over uh, oversee your study all the way up. So not only is it hard to get guys to go through and do the study, you then have to find the ones above who are qualified and then they have to spend their time checking your notes and things and getting you up to the next speed. So it's, it's a very cumbersome system, but it's required because of the... Uh, because of two things. One is the change in regulation and secondly that um, there is a, an insurance for advocates and if you haven't ticked all the boxes and you're not not totally um, compliant uh, to do the job then you don't have any personal insurance. I think it's worth as yeah, we're, where the conversation's going down uh, what, what advocates are and how hard they're working. It's just I think worth uh, letting people out there know what an advocate actually is and and what they're what they're doing there, because you know, no doubt people are listening and, and wondering what goes on, what an advocate is, and may may need one and aren't using it themselves. So if you consider the Department of Veterans Affairs to be like an insurance company, and when when you have an insurance claim, you put it into your insurance company and they'll whittle away a little bit of your claim and give you what they believe you're entitled to. Department of Veterans Affairs is very similar to that, that if you suffer an injury related to your service, they will assist you with some compensation and award you a number of points. And those points are cumulative towards becoming um, a, a gold card uh, a gold card holder. Now, if you were, for example, burnt in a, in a service injury and you suffered burns, you as a, as a serviceman would fill out your DVA claim and say that I've been burnt and sent that to the Department of Veterans Affairs. They would look at the percentage of the burns and say, okay, that is entitled to this many points and this amount of compensation. What they don't tell you is that there are other things you might be able to claim. For example, that burn may have caused a psychological injury. It may have caused um, body disturbance problems. It may have ongoing pain issues. And all these things are compensatable as well. But the Department of Veterans Affairs won't put their hand up and say, hey, did you know you're also entitled to another five claims based on that injury? Mm. So 
you go to your advocate and you say, I've suffered a burn, and they will go through and look at all the things that are related to that burn that you may also be suffering from. And yeah, that goes for, for every service injury, everything that could happen to you. Um, there are, there's a lot of things out there that are compensatable that the Department of Veteran Affairs won't tell you about. The other thing is that it is a very complicated system to be able to fill out the forms and make the claims. Just the navigation of the system itself? The navigation of the system and to, to understand what's compensatable and also to, to understand the, the mathematical formulas, which you know, the, the book of mathematical formulas to work out what is compensatable and what you're entitled to is probably about three inches thick. And the advocates know this inside out and are able to make sure that you get the best deal because unfortunately the Department of Veterans Affairs will not put up their hand and tell you what the best deal for you is. So we need the support of government there is what one of the big things. One, uh, one other reason for the advocacy too is because quite often, not just the fact that the navigating of all the bits and pieces is so clumsy, is that people's issues themselves uh, preclude them from being able to handle all the bloody paperwork that's involved anyway. So, so let me tell you what I do with the paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it. Wait a moment. I, <laughs> I bundle it up and I send it to the advocate and he comes back with a piece of paper for me to sign. I, I barely even open the envelopes. I hand them straight to them and they sort it all out for me. That's what, that's what I've heard most people do. Either they, they just throw it in the air and then go and go to the pub. And that is the problem. We're going to have a little break here because it's about time we gave Marie a bit of a call. We're going to play your track a little bit later on, Sian. I'm going to put on a track that will give me time to take a breath. It's um, Leonard Skinner. Nice. So you'll probably know what it is anyway, but I'm going to play, the, uh, play a Leonard Skinner track. And we're going to have a little break here. Well, we've been going for quite a long while here. It's on, you're on Community Connect with Ed Weiner and Greg McHenry. We're on OCRFM at 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast. It has just gone 11 o'clock. Um, we're also streaming live at ocrfm.org.au. We've got Sian Didhams and we've got Ellen Fleming, a Viet Vet. Sian is, well, we're just, you're the, the daughter of and the... the daughter, daughter of a Vietnam vet and sister of a um, deceased Afghan deceased vet. Yeah. Vet and Darren Stent, who's, well, a paramedic and a, well... Lots and lots of badges he wears on whatever days he goes to. And I'm Greg, and, and thanks, Ed. We'll have a break, and we'll be back with you shortly.